something easy to work on. <laughs> is, is anything easy that you can sell to executives? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Rockstar CML FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but I picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor. And each week I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rockstar. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 12th of August 2022. Thanks for joining us. Hope you've had a good week. You are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode, Jeff Clark is back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with Head of Marketing for Surat Technologies, Joyce Young. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Martin Studio with Jeff Clark. Jeff is a sought-after Rockstar CMO advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director. This week, it's planning season. Welcome back, Jeff, to the Rockstar CMO Studio with Jeff Clark. How are you? <laughs> I am doing Fantastic. Splendid, splendid. And um, I'm assuming that you are basking in some hot, humid weather, the same I, as us. Let's get that I out of think the way. we sent the hot, humid weather over to you, and we have now had a, had a day of cool weather. Not cool is probably, it's only cool relative to the heat wave that we went through um, for uh, yes. probably four weeks. So, um, so, anyway, we're getting some welcome relief. And we're even going down to New York City, and I'm looking at the weather in New York City, and it's not that bad. So, hey. Splendid. Well, I mean, for people who are new listeners to the show, I'm speaking to you in Massachusetts, and I'm in the UK. And weather is our obsession. It is our obsession. (laughs) I check it every hour. But something else, uh, and aside from uh, weather, we are also obsessed with marketing, and particularly planning. We talk about planning quite a bit. And we're coming up to planning season, right? Absolutely. Um, And I know that that you've come across an article from from your old crowd over at Forrester. Um, avoid four common mispa- mistakes that can derail your marketing strategy. Imagine that, making a mistake, saying the word mistake. <laughs> yes. Uh, by, 
<laughs> by your old chum Jennifer Ross, VP Research Director over there, and um, so I, and I picked it up as well. And I'll include a note. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Uh, so, what do you say, Jeff? What what are, what do we need to look out for when we're derailing our strategy well, and plan? Well, you know, one of the things um, is is I remember Jennifer uh, used to lead a, um, a annual CMO study. So, you know, what were you concerned about? What are what's driving your thinking for the next year? And it was always, it's just kind of interesting. It's like improving marketing strategy was like, you know, the number one or two process or thing mm-hmm. that they needed to fix uh, in the coming year. And it's kind of like, well, you know, th- I think that's, I think that's on you guy, <laughs> gal, <laughs> to, to fix it. So <laughs> I don't know why yeah. you can keep thinking it's a problem. But I think the, the, the challenge for, you know, many CMOs, uh, you know, UB1 would put, and identify with this is one you know you got to be in sync with your executive team and then you got to make sure your mm-hmm. team is in sync with you and the colleagues and you know other uh other um functions that you know particularly customer facing functions like sales and product and services so it it is mm-hmm. i mean it's a tough it's a tough thing to make sure you do strategy and planning well uh and um and they, they kind of operate on different levels to begin with, which, which, which you know, <laughs> makes it kind of confusing. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, uh, you know it's, it's definitely something that, that, it, that continues to be a challenge for CMOs, continues to be a challenge for CMOs finding their place within an organization uh, and, you know, right. what they're supposed to be doing for the business. Right, right. So the point you were making there, I mean, presumably those are Forrester CMO surveys, yes. right? But improving marketing strategy always rates num- number one yes. or two. So what did you take out of this article that you think that our listeners need to pay attention to when, when, when approaching? Well, one that? thing is you don't want to confuse uh, strategy with planning. And then, and, again, and then there's mm-hmm. also what marketing strategy and planning. And then there is the business strategy mm-hmm. and planning. And so just to take, you know, yeah. to, to take those those four things and separate them is, you know, from strategy versus yeah. planning. I mean, strategy is your two to three year time horizon could be longer for some organizations, but you know, you're trying to go beyond the, the coming fiscal year and you're, you're trying to say, what are the investments I need to plan? What are the initiatives? What are the capabilities I'm trying to build? And you're really focused yeah. on, you know, mid-range milestones and impacts. Are we shifting our revenue mix? Are we changing from new business to, you know, uh, working with existing customers? Are we trying to move our market position? Have we acquired some other organization and we're trying to fit that in uh, to our product and services mix? So there's all these things that, you know, they just, it takes more than a year to, to work through. And so you want to lay that stuff out and different from planning, which is typically I'm going to get a budget and I'm going to, I need to determine what I'm going to do with my staff, my budget, my resources and all that over the next year. And I may have shorter term cycles like quarterly reviewing of that plan, but typically because, you know, their companies run on fiscal years, even nonprofits run on mm-hmm. fiscal years is therefore you do it initially from an annual perspective and then you you know work through it as you go through the year. So let's separate strategy and planning. Right. Strategy needs to inform right. your planning because obviously if you're looking out two or three years, year one <laughs> is the year for which you're mm-hmm. planning for. Um, 
And uh, so that's you know, I, I, it's 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 important that. And then, is that? Oh, go a, ahead. Yeah, is that a common thing that you see? Because I think it's a challenge, isn't it, for for CMOs to to be given the to be afforded not the time but the headspace and everything to be thinking two to three years, right? So because increasingly our business are, as you say. Um, annually led or even quarterly led from a financial perspective and there's so much pressure isn't it on delivery in those kinds of time frames and also the much talked about CMO tenure right two or three years right so but you're saying there that the CMO needs to engage with the executive team to understand what is that two to three year plan for the business entirety and how's marketing going to and develop a marketing strategy yeah and and and, 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 and I think the thing is that when you think about um so you're you're right that it's like it, it it's difficult to do, but when you think about you know mm-hmm. implementing using technology, hiring people and making them productive, yeah, changing processes if 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 you realize that you're you're inefficient in your in the way you conduct business and now you need to I don't know adopt agile, change the marketing or yeah. you know whatever whatever those aspects are. I mean those are going to take more than a year to play out. Um, so again, not right. that you, you can't think about what I'm going to do in year one, but I need to be thinking about, okay, once I do that, what happens in year two, what happens? And, you know, I was involved a lot in marketing technology planning, uh, when I was at serious decisions in Forrester and it's like always focus on your, what's your roadmap? Because there's, there's just things yeah. that you want to do, but it's like there, you can't do it all at once. Uh, and you get there are things you need to do in order to get to a point where if you're trying to get digital, you know there are things you need to do in the in the interim to get there. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you always need to be thinking in multi years. Yeah, and the the interesting thing there is that you have to be in an environment that thinks like that, right? Because um, you need to be engaged with the rest of the C suite that's thinking the same way, right? Which is that you know do you, do you see a lot of did, did you see that when you were working with clients that some businesses are thinking in that three-year time horizon, others oh. really aren't, and, and therefore, presumably, their marketing needs to try and force that yes. to, to happen? And I think, and that's how where do you, how do you how do you deal with? Well, that? I think that's where the CMO. So you know, one of the things that that a CMO could can do is you know you've got the you know potentially you've got the resources to understanding yeah. how customers are engaging with content how the brand is evolving how uh you've, yeah. you know maybe you've got a team that's doing market research so there's all kinds of things that the cmo should be able to bring to the table to say you know we should be you know um you know we should be thinking about these things in terms of how the business is going to evolve mm-hmm. and and basically staking a claim uh on the executive team that you you can be the eyes and ears for what's happening out in front of the next couple of quarters where right. sales is focused on hitting you know the numbers this yeah. quarter next quarter the one you know et cetera et cetera yeah um and yeah. yeah but which actually yeah i've heard that i've heard that description actually that marketing we're we're kind of thinking in the future where sales are really thinking in the present, yeah. right? In in that, and I think in that, that way, that yeah. A lot of yeah. that has to just do with the, the type of people that get attracted to working in marketing versus sales. Uh, I was never a quarter to quarter type person, yeah. <laughs> you know, So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so what else did you get from? Well, that I think article? that what we were just talking about kind of leads to the, uh, another important aspect that that Jennifer brought out, which is just the. You know, you need to understand what the business needs from marketing. Your marketing can't 
you know, if as we were talking about, the CMO needs to advocate to have a place in, in helping build the corporate strategy. Well, when it comes to the marketing mm-hmm. part of that, they can't just say, okay, you know, we we, we figured it out for the company. Now we're going to go off and do our thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you need to work with, um, you know, particularly the other customer facing functions and maybe even some of your support yeah. functions to figure out how you're going to, to execute. Uh, and, yeah. and so, um, you know, what are the business outcomes that marketing is signing up for? How does that relate to marketing's goals? And, and then, you know, and yeah. then make sure that, the, the plan you're putting in place is is um, you know is uh, the pe- people you're working with in sales etc are on board with that. And one of the things I know we did a podcast right. that was kind of talking about you know creating kind of a consolidated plan, you know like put a plan yeah. on a page or something where you're you're you've got a document that is easy to communicate with your peers. So shopping that mm-hmm. around and saying okay here's the objectives we're building our plan to. Yeah. Here's the goals we're setting. Here's the marketing contribution. Here's the goals we're setting for ourselves. Here's how we're resourcing it. Actually, here's where we have dependencies on you to help us execute mm-hmm. that, or you may have dependencies on us. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think it's really important that that the planning process just doesn't become the marketing leadership team goes into a room and cooks up a plan. It is yeah. a iterative process yeah. working with the... Uh, other functions you need to collaborate with with the other stakeholders yeah right um is there a difference uh, when you you talk about goals and outcomes there what's the difference between the sort of goals and outcomes that you're going to define in your marketing strategy uh, against your planning so presumably your planning is going to be some of those more tactical needs like revenue target contribution to revenue targets um leads traffic, whatever it is that we're measuring the success of our marketing on, awareness, that kind of stuff. Are the outcomes that you need to discuss with C-suite when you're trying to define a strategy different from that? What sorts I, of things are we thinking about? I, I think you're thinking about how marketing is building uh, or evolving its capabilities. So mm-hmm. when capabilities can be the yeah. people, the processes, the, the technology, the data you're, you know, you're leveraging or, or in creating so, so those aspects of your capabilities are things where you could set milestones. And again, you know, I was talking about doing a technology roadmap. Well, you could do a roadmap for uh, your your team, upscaling, hiring, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You could do a roadmap for how you're evolving your data, which might be incredibly important for providing right. insights to the organization. So, all of those milestones, which which you know are not as much. Uh, as you say, you know, they're not as much kind of like revenue number driven or lead opportunity right. driven. They're more about milestones that are creating, that are showing you're creating the capabilities that are going to support the business in the strategy that it's created for um, okay. know, the next two or three years. Okay, so this is almost like a strategy for marketing then. We're thinking about how we're going to evolve our marketing function, our team, our tools, and how, how we work yep. then, as as well as what it is that we're going to achieve in terms of a contribution to the business with with the marketing strategy. Yes. Right, right. And so are we, and, and on this, are we thinking more like OKRs and things like that, sort of objectives, key indi- um, key results, that kind of model um, in terms of, you know, those higher level things that we need to achieve? Yes, yeah, so, you know, I think showing that, and, and being able to review those with the executive team yeah. to show that the capabilities yeah. that are, that you've set out to support the, the business yeah. strategy 
they're in place. Um, you know, and, and not to get yeah. into the details, but you know, where are we on our roadmap for building this organization? And then, and then also yeah. being able to say, you know, we're we're <laughs> this is the tough. The tough part is we're executing on the short term goals of mm-hmm. opportunity generation or brand, you know, improvement, et cetera, et cetera, as well as building these yeah. capabilities. Um, you know, again, which makes it complex and makes it easy for the executive team to well look at the CMO and say, okay, you're not you're not doing what we need. <laughs> you're out of here. <laughs> right, right, right. And then and then part of this, and I know because I had a look at the article as well that you shared, was about um, not not just about how we interact with the C-suite in terms of getting synchronized with them and talk and, and getting those common bonds in terms of strategy and goals and outcomes and stuff but you but also about providing ongoing guidance to the marketing yeah. team what's your thoughts on well, that well that is absolutely um you know necessary it, because because again part of what you're um as the cmo you're trying to execute are the uh, you know again the, the things that you're showing to the c suite but also you know there are yeah. there are internal uh, orientations in terms of are we changing our operating model? Are we evolving our capabilities? Are we hiring the people yeah. we need to be able to hire? Are we late on that? Are we meeting our internal milestones? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, as well as the kind of the external view of you know, are we engaging our audience? Are we evolving our brand? Are we developing the market that we uh, you know, in terms of you know, developing opportunities right. and pipeline? So. Those two things, or those two sets of things, kind of the market orientation, which is external, and the operational orientation. Yeah, it, absolutely yeah. important to continue to, you know, communicate where we are uh, with the marketing mm-hmm. team, so that they understand. You know, we've we've set this both the annual plan, or maybe even shorter term plans, and when we've set a longer term plan in our strategy. So, what, uh, where are we on those? And, um, you know, I mean, this is like. This is like anything that has to do with, you know, change management or management in general is like yeah. communication is just so important. And so, um, yeah. you know, and I, I know I've had uh, a, a number of CMO leaders that I worked for who just did, they did an excellent job of, you know, we're going to get together every quarter and we're going to go over where we yeah. are in goals. We're going to go over, you know, where we are on staff. We're going to reward people for, yeah. you know, uh, you know, you know, good work or great outcomes and da 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 da. So that everybody feels like, yep, you know, we're on a mission together, and right. uh, you know, we're uh, we're going to succeed. Right. right. I think that's really interesting the way you described it. It's a bit like what I was saying just now, isn't it? Is that we've got to define those two sides. We've got to have that external marketing strategy and that internal strategy for marketing. Right? Is how are we going to improve our own marketing operations so we can deliver against those? It's really interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things we talked about, Fabulous. you know, last week was was that. Um, you know, there was this people leaving marketing because they didn't, they, they felt like have a lack of purpose. Yeah. And of course you could purpose, yeah, yeah. you could define a number of ways, but, but um, yeah. it's not necessarily that on a, from an altruistic perspective, it's like, Hey, you know, I have a job. I was hired to do something. I want to feel that I'm contributing to something that's greater than just, I don't know, you know, bringing people yeah. to a webinar or whatever my, my particular role is. And that, that works yeah. its way from the top, down to the you know the marketing leadership team, all the way down to every individual in the organization. 
Yeah, cool. Okay, well, that's great. And I'll include a link to uh, that article in the show notes. I think you've done it more just, I mean, it was just four points. And it seems that you've you've exa- uh, elaborated on that, which is excellent. Um, so that's avoid four common mistakes that can derail your marketing strategy by Jennifer Ross, VP Research Director, that you can find on the Forrester blog or in the show notes. I'll include a link to. And the final uh, a part of the agenda, uh, and I know we've had some fun with this one, Jeff. <laughs> What's the song for this week? There's so many to pick from, or sort of little, depending on your perspective. But uh, yeah, we went with yeah. a, a remix of a classic by um, by uh, uh, Moby, and uh, it, it, yeah. it was funny because it was called "Planning to Rock Remix." Well, planning, and we rock. So hey, what yeah. the heck? But the song is a remix of yeah. David Bowie's. Heroes, which is just all one of my all-time favorite Bowie songs. Yes. So, hey, let's go with yes. it. Yes. So that's yeah. So this is quite complicated, isn't it? So it's Heroes by David Bowie that was done by Moby and then remixed by Planning to Rock. And I think the Planning to Rock bit was the bit that was most <laughs> relevant to this article but, this week. Anyway, I'll know, play a bit of that. Want the CMO and the marketing team in general, they want to be heroes. Absolutely, to be planning yeah, and planning to rock. All right, so I'll play out with that. And that's actually from 2022, which is just amazing for us. Jeff. Well done, you. And, um, and, but, Will, I see you in the marketing studio yes. next week. Absolutely. Well, I'll see you then, my friend. Have Cheers. a good one. Thank you, Jeff. And that was Moby's version of Heroes by David Bowie, remixed by Planning for Rock from 2022. Plenty of stuff from Jeff there that I'll be including in the show notes. And you can find those at rockstarcmo.com. Just click on the podcast link. Right. (laughs) Time to go backstage with my guest. As you'll hear, Joyce Young is the head of marketing for 3D printing startup, Serar Technologies. She enjoys partnering with high growth companies and founders to build their audience and narrative. She is fascinated by the many ways startups can evolve into world changes and believes that people plus passion equals everything. Joyce provided a wonderfully short bio there. Love that. But it's just a teaser for this serial startup marketer. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Joyce, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing great, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, you're more than welcome. And where are we speaking to you from? I am based out of Dallas, Texas. Wow. Wow. Now you get some warmth. I mean, they're talking about how hot it is here, but you guys, it's it's a bit hotter there, isn't it? It is muy caliente. (laughs) (laughs) And um, for people that have not come across you, Joyce, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a content marketer, startup marketer in every way. I believe it is an honor and a privilege to help a founder build their business, uh, which is why I'm so attracted to startups. Uh, There's nothing I love more than a good story, which is why I've chosen this path of content marketing and excited to talk more about it with you. Ah, splendid. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I've been looking forward to this because uh, we did have a slight snafu, didn't we, the first time we tried to record it when somebody drilled through your internet connection. So it's good to have you on the show. Um, So you're the, let me get this right, Senior Director of Marketing at Surah Technologies, correct? Correct. And what is it you guys do? Surah is a venture-backed 
hardware startup uh, in the 3D printing space. So we have taken the 3D printing process and have scaled it such that it can compete with traditional manufacturing technologies and is actually capable of reshoring manufacturing to wherever the customer is. And that becomes really exciting because when we can reshore, we can bring back jobs, we can create local economic impact, uh, we can really improve the local academic infrastructure and there's just so much goodness that comes out of that. Yeah. So is it the big machines that you create then that, that you make as well as the software and the, and the stuff that goes around that? Yeah, that's a good question. So our mm-hmm. business model is we make machines and we sell parts. So we're right. not trying to sell systems and having them installed at various customer sites. We're looking to sell high volume parts to customers. Yeah, cool, cool. And that's that's a big deal at the moment, isn't it? 3D printing and they're making everything, aren't they, from... From houses to, to airplane parts, it's, it's, it's amazing. You can certainly make a lot of things through 3D printing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, aside from me um, promoting you to CMO, <laughs> you've, had a, <laughs> you've had a fabulous marketing career and obviously one to come. Um, what inspired you in the first place to choose marketing? I wish I had a glamorous story around that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a first-generation American. My family is mm-hmm. Taiwanese, and mm-hmm. so naturally my family led me through d- down the path of accounting, finance, engineering, right. and the holy grail would have been if I became a doctor. And yeah. I did none of those things. I wasn't academically smart enough to do any of those things. Uh, instead, I went down the business route. And what I found in sort of early college was that a lot of my friends would come to me with their sort of complex problems and word vomit. Mm-hmm. And after spending an hour listening to them, I would say, okay, I think I can help you synthesize synthesize your thoughts and put them and digest them into something concrete and sort of I guess after years of doing that I was like I think I have a promising career in either psychology counseling or content marketing yeah and I went down the third route yeah I think I think that's great and I I mean I talked to um, marketers who've had all sorts of inspiration that taken them into into marketing from being in the music industry to you know some people have been techies turned marketers um, but I think that idea there is that you are understood that you could tell us a, a, a story better than the per, you know that's almost almost exactly what we do isn't it we tell the story around our products or we tell somebody else's story better yeah, yeah that's a great way to put it taking yeah. taking a lot of disparate complex thoughts piecing them together into something cohesive is really mm. the hallmark of content marketing And I think a lot of, for for anybody that's early career listening to this and you don't really know kind of which way to go in your, in in your career path, it's, it may not be straightforward. Your soft skills might lead you there. And that's kind of what led me down that route. Right, right. And and how did, and how did it start for you? What was your first marketing role? My first marketing role was, uh, I worked for a small software company that they were a reseller of a much, a much larger product. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, they had about eight people and I was their first marketing hire. Uh, and then I jumped and, uh, landed at a telecom company and I was, I wasn't their first marketing hire, but I was one of their, their early marketing hires. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the common thread through my career, being one of the early marketing hires and really helping shape, uh, the narrative, the whole marketing mix, um, and that's something that I really enjoy. Getting in early on and figuring things out has always been something that's so complex, so interesting, and really draws me in. 
Yeah, I was going to say, actually, because that is a common thread of your career from the research that I've done is you've worked with a lot of startups, including your current role. And, um, and also you've, you've, you've been through IPOs, you've been purchased by a massive organization in GE. What is it about startups that attracts you? Why, why do you always start from there? I think startups are trying to change the world mm -hmm. because small dreams don't get funded. And so I'm really attracted to founders that dream big and have audacious goals. And I'm even more attracted to companies with a social mission. Right. So what attracted me to Syrah is it's not just a manufacturing company wanting to bring back business mm -hmm. and create new jobs and create this wonderful economic impact. It's the, the byproduct of doing that is decarbonization. So if we can migrate manufacturing from the traditional dirty process that it is today to 3D printing, which is electrically driven, we have a fantastic opportunity to offset a lot of carbon uh, and fossil fuels and uh, really create a meaningful environmental impact for the world because the climate crisis is real. Yeah. And that I, that's a wonderful tool for recruiting. That's a wonderful mission that I think a lot of people can get behind versus we just want to make a lot of money for the company or come join us because we have an awesome beer cake and free pizza. <laughs> so you're obviously a proponent and, and this is something that's attracted you to companies, both in terms of, you know, them acquiring your talent as well as helping you tell the story of that organization is companies with a purpose. So do you think it's important that companies have a purpose? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, now more than ever, because is it, has not our world changed so much yeah. in the last 36 months? I mean, we went through a global pandemic. We've gone through a human, we are going through a humanitarian crisis in Eastern Europe. Uh, we're going through a recession and the whole, the whole recruiting you know, angle has completely changed because it went from this, this, um, this, this great, it went through, um, this great depression of recruiting where we, we couldn't really find talent. Mm -hmm. And now there is a lot of talent because there's been so much tech layoffs yeah. and everybody wants something different. Now. I think everybody is, is your, at least your A players are looking to join a mission, not yeah. just obtain an awesome 401k program. And so for, for marketers, I think our ability to really connect with people, to connect with candidates and give them a real reason why they should join and how they can make a meaningful impact and do the most meaningful work of their career is more important now than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I picked up that actually, and I was going to ask you about it later in the interview, but we might as well go right there now. I mean, that's what I saw. You, you were discussing this on LinkedIn that you've shared your growth plans for Sura. Um, so I was going to ask you how as marketers we can help. You know, you've got this mission, haven't you, at Sura? You need to bring a lot of people in. What, um, how do you think marketing can help? Is it telling that story about the company and, and, and about, you know, what the, the why of what we're doing? I think... Building that recruitment narrative is, mm -hmm. is such an interesting thing. And to be honest, I've never had to do it mm -hmm. until, until Sarah, but that's also right. because sort of our world has changed and the demands have changed. Yeah. Um, and I think of it as twofold. So there's this psychological aspect to it where it's working one-on-one -on -one with your current employees and understanding why they decided to come here and can they be advocates for your brand? Yeah. And then the flip side of that is the mobilization, which is, uh, broadcasting the advocacy across blogs and digital mediums and things like that. Right. And um, it's, it's just so interesting because everybody is attracted to something 
different at, at, at a, at a, um, when you talk to them, but, mm. but fundamentally they all actually all want the same thing. Yeah. And I think that that fundamental thing is everybody wants inclusion. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants, um, to, to make, uh, they want to feel like they are doing meaningful work and that their work matters. And, um, mobilizing that is, is honestly, I feel like it's such an honor. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. So your view then from how we as marketers can help with, with growing our companies from a recruitment standpoint is that we mobilize our colleagues in order to talk about how good it is to work in this organization. Right. And to tell their stories. Right. I mean, it's almost like um, when you're trying to recruit customers, you use use cases and, and customer testimonials, right? You're saying we need to take that just as seriously when it comes to acquiring talent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the customer advocacy part, I think as marketers, we understand very well. Yeah. Customers are, are our best storytellers. Yeah. And now that our world has changed and, you know, as a, as a young startup, we're looking to grow mm. by 10x in the next three years. Uh, we have a, another customer, which is the candidate. Yeah. And so I I need to mobilize our existing employees and I need to mobilize them in a way that's authentic and genuine yep. and empower them. And um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's just very, it's very interesting. I, I love the work I do because it's so meaningful. Yeah. Um, it's meaningful when, when you see other people, when you see your peers really light up and they feel like, what they're doing is important and it's just, you know, it's, it's cool to give them a platform to do that. Yeah. 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 And I, and it's important, I mean, HR marketing or recruitment marketing or whatever we call that part of our daily life, as you say, often gets deprioritized as we so, so much focus on, on growth and awareness of our organizations, but without great people, you're not going to achieve any of those things. Are you? Yeah. And I think, you know, through, I think the old way mm-hmm. of thinking about recruitment marketing is that we always thought the benefits would speak for themselves, yep. right? If I pay you well and I give you, you know, all these other benefits, mm-hmm. aren't you happy? Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out, no, because the, I think our workforce is telling us, especially as the workforce gets younger, mm-hmm. they're telling us that inclusion and diversity, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion are more important now than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I also liked um, what you were saying about that all employees like the same things, like to be valued, to be included and all that kind of stuff. And that's the story we need to tell is that is where, where do they fit into our organization and what does that look like for them? Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, back to talking about working for startups, um, what advice would, aside from being really good at recruitment and telling employee stories, what advice would you give to marketers who are looking to work with early stage companies or perhaps being offered, offered um, opportunities at early stage companies? Figure out why you want it. <laughs> so it's very different to work for a high growth startup than it is to obviously work for a very mature, established player. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about it is different. My daily role at Syrah is wildly different than my daily role at GE. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when you work for a young business that wants to do something big, that's unproven and has a vast blue ocean in front of them, you have to have conviction, yeah. conviction that your work matters, conviction that uh, the company's mission matters. And it's that conviction that will get you through the really hard times because hard times are guaranteed. Yeah. 
Right, right. And do you think there's a certain skill set you need when when you're with early stage? Because obviously then you're kind of more of a generalist, aren't you? And you probably need to be quite bootstrappy and you probably don't have the resources straight away in terms of agency help or bringing on a team. Do you think it's that kind of entrepreneurial sense that a marketer needs for that? Absolutely. Scrappy, being really creative. I I always tell my team, I, I tell them we're in the lemonade business. Yeah. Right. We have to make gallons and gallons of lemonade out of a v- very few lemons. <laughs> so doing more with less yeah. uh, in a in a valuable way. Um, all that stuff is necessary. Grit. Yeah. Having uh, you, you got to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think? What, what's been your most the challenge for you guys uh, from a, a startup perspective? Because you've got to do everything as a marketer. You've got to build awareness, haven't you, as well as build, building revenue. Uh, and 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 sort of nobody's heard of you and how do you build up the trust so what where have you seen the biggest challenge is it is it building awareness within a startup or is it man we got to get some revenue in the door what's where where's it looked for you for that i think the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity for us mm-hmm. is um i joined Surat when they were still in stealth mode right and I've, I've been here for less than a year. And since then, we have come out of stealth mode. Mm-hmm. So the biggest challenge is building an audience. Yeah. Um, but then, I, like I said, I think that's also the biggest opportunity. And that's really where content marketing thought leadership yeah. shines. Yeah. So working with the trusted experts inside the business, formulating what our strategic narrative is, uh, uncovering who the influencers are in our market, and um, educating them on what we do and getting them to broadcast it to their networks is a, a form of creativity and art and strategy altogether. Mm, yes. And I love the way that we've now led straight into the, the probably the topic I was putting off because I'm looking forward to it the most <laughs> is because I'm crazy about content marketing. So um, when we were introduced, you were described not only as a startup marketer, which we've just covered, but you love content marketing. And uh, I think we've just started dipping into them. Why do you think content marketing is important? I mean, you just mentioned a couple of things there, but why put, Why would you apply that in whatever marketing role you were in? Content is story mm-hmm. and story is strategy. Yeah. It's so important. It's Content is fundamental to how we build our audience, to how we create differentiation, to how we battle the villain in our narrative. It's so important. And I think, you know, I, again, I want to speak to the early career people, if you're listening and if you're wondering, Hey, does my work really matter? If you're like an entry level copywriter and you're wondering, you know, is, is my work product like good? Is my job important? It is important. And if you can help, if you can connect the dots and if you can help your, your manager connect the dots to how my copy is connecting uh, to the larger narrative and how it's helping create differentiation and creating a category if that's your business's mission. Yeah. Um, you are connecting yourself to the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And have you found that to be an easy sell when you've been working with executives? Because um, it doesn't have the instant results of other techniques, but it's very important that you that you sort of make it clear to the audience who you are where you sit in the category, what the category is that you're, you're in, as you were just saying. Um, but have you, have, you set, have you had that as an easy, easy sell to executives, or is that something you've needed to work on? 
<laughs> is, is anything easy to sell to executives? <laughs> oh, Ian. I think the, the, the thing that's easy to sell is revenue, isn't it? I'm going to get you some revenue. I think that's about it. <laughs> By tomorrow morning, yes. yes. The leads are weak. <laughs> I think it's it's definitely something that requires patience. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as marketers, it's it's absolutely our job to not just build the audience, but obviously build pipeline too. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that executives understand they go together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And with without content, you know, what's your audience gonna gonna engage with? And without yeah, a story, con- right? Content is the biggest, baddest tool that we have as marketers <laughs> in our toolbox. I think we should conclude on the content marketing with that, that content is the biggest, baddest tool. I think <laughs> that, that's, that's the perfect way to conclude that part. So I'm going to move on to our final question. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, where we throw all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped trend that plague this industry you love. What would you chuck into that pool? Uh, if you are... If you are measuring your marketing success mm-hmm. by the volume of MQLs that you bring in, you're a moron. <laughs> you just say what you think, Joyce. Don't can, can, can I say that, Ian? <laughs> you certainly can. I, I, I want to elaborate on that, though, because, <laughs> because I, I want to be constructive. Mm-hmm. So, so let, me, let me say it a different way. If you're, value, if, you're, if you're putting the value of your marketing effectiveness mm-hmm. based off of the number of unqualified leads you're bringing in, you can do better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't argue with that. What, what, what's, your, what, <laughs> what's your strategy? Where do you value your marketing uh, and on what you do? Is it on the sales qualified leads? Is it on the revenue? Is it on the opportunities or is it something else? I, I want to start by saying this. I how I measure marketing mm-hmm. has wildly changed over the years. Yeah. And I've learned by working with different companies at very different stages of growth, uh, that KPI changes. Mm-hmm. It's a dynamic thing. So um how you measure marketing effectiveness as you come out of stealth mode as a young business is going to be very different than how a mature company like GE measures their marketing effectiveness. Sure. And as marketing leaders, we have to be smart about that. And, and so here's another word of caution um, that I, I always tend to remind myself about this too, is that we have to be dynamic and we have to change and we cannot rinse and repeat because market dynamics change and the, the context that our business operates changes too. And so what looks good, uh, what looked good before, like maybe even just a year ago mm-hmm. may not look good now. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I think we've got a couple of candidates for the pool there, haven't we? The MQLs and this rigidity we're sticking to a plan, right? So I think I think both of those can go in the pool. So that was splendid. Thank you very much, Joyce. I really enjoyed that conversation. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? You can find me on LinkedIn um, or yeah, that would be the best place to find me. Oh, that's excellent. And I and I will include all your links in the show notes, including to Sarah Technologies and the fascinating work you guys do with 3D printing. And um, enjoy the rest of your day, Joyce. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, Joyce. Did she just say morons? Love that. Bit of passion around the swimming pool. I will, of course, include all of Joyce's links in the show notes. So please take a look at her work, reach out and say hello. Right. 
Where better to be on a sweltering hot Friday evening than the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar, where we wind down with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to the... Bu- what, what? What is going on in here this <laughs> evening? It is, it is crazed. It is just crazed with all kinds... Of, I, I think there, there must be 400 chimpanzees typing on typewriters. It's, so there's, there's the loud din of the chimps and there's sort of the typewriter. Are you trying to construct Shakespeare or something in here? I, I yeah, mean. I am. It's just a, I mean, we're, we're all about science in this bar, so we're just trying to prove some theories. And this I week, see. this is the theory we're trying to prove. So, you know, okay. It, and they're all, they're, it's not they have computers, they have typewriters, like old typewriters. So I find it yeah. interesting that you've gone sort of offline with this whole thing, which is fascinating. Wow. It's the, it's the classic way, and, and um, you know that's what keeps the bar cool, isn't it? That we've got the old the old typewriters. You know, it's, it's that's true. It's, that's true. It does make for right. a cooler experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, let, let's let them. What are they doing? Chimpanzeeing their typewriting, and uh, and yeah. once the din. So I have a wonderful down. cocktail for us. Yes, I have a, a, a <laughs> wonderful cocktail for us uh, this evening. Um, if we can hear ourselves above the din. Um, <laughs> It is what we're calling a rum and orange cocktail. I had sort of a, uh, uh, I had sort of a, a, a real, you know, sort of a hankering for Italian uh, amaro, um, and and I know you like a good amaro. I do. Um, I and do. so, uh, so the amaro Montenegro, um, it's mm-hmm. a it's a really a digestive if more than anything else, and it's just yes. you know it's just so lovely. Um, as it, even on its own, it's a lovely, wonderful sort of uh, end to a meal. But actually, I found that you know, I, so it's summertime still, and mm-hmm. thinking about um, rum drinks, and so I've sort of mixed these things together, thinking they might go together well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this is a sweet drink, I will tell you right up front, um, given the fact that it's rum and amaro. But you basically. You you pour some you know it's an ice over ice you have your yeah. you know regular wonderful Jamaican rum if you can get such a yes. thing and yes. then there's of course um, probably you know so if you figure it's one and a half parts rum you figure it's probably one part amaro so there you go mm-hmm. so it's a stiff drink as well um, and then maybe if you like maybe if you've got such a thing around a little sweet vermouth just to sort of put you know over maybe even just waving the bottle over the drink and uh-huh. then a little grapefruit juice um on top of that and it's just Blimey. absolutely spectacular it is a sipping drink for sure not you know <laughs> this isn't the kind of drink that you're going to want to like you know guzzle this is a right. sipping drink very lovely after a meal and especially after an Italian wow. meal, uh, which yes. is when I made it was after a pasta dish. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just absolutely wonderful. That sounds splendid. And uh, I think a couple of those, I'll definitely be seeing chimpanzees yeah, yeah, there you go. in their thousand. Well, I am. Um, or you may find the I artistic can't... work in one of them, you know, as good as Shakespeare. <laughs> well, I'm going to... Um, 
I'm going to try and recreate that fine drink using the ingredients of my desktop bar. And I'm going to start with the um, most English of... Uh, are people getting tired of that joke yet? I don't know. I'm going to start with the most English of uh, rums. Some Hendrix gin. Oh, no, I'm going to start with some ice. Where's my ice? Yeah, ice is probably a good place to start. Yeah. So there's some ice. And then I'm going to slurp in some of my beautiful English rum. <laughs> Made by Hendrix and called gin. And then um, I, can't, I haven't got any Amaro on my desk. And I haven't got any uh, grapefruit juice or any ingredients other than the wonderful people at Fever Tree have blended cucumber which is a bit like the english grapefruit and some tonic water which they've put into a bottle for me to sample with this here gin let me try this oh that's delicious there you go i i think this might be a bit more refreshing than yours is <laughs> i don't think i could gu quite guzzle your choice and what did you call your drink uh, this we just simply call the rum and orange cocktail. I mean, I don't really have anything very creative it. for it um, other than just to sort of say what it is. I, I mean, it. you could probably make it. I'm sure there's a wonderful way to say this in Italian that would be that would make oh, it just yes. absolutely spectacular. You know, maybe sort of the uh, rum amaro Montenegro, you know, something oh, like that. But si, uh, bella. Yeah. Well, I don't care what it's called, mate, because I could drink one of these every week. I love there it. There you go. So where are we going to go and drink these fine drinks? You know, I think we have to go to Italy, don't we? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we have to. I mean, I have had just the strongest mm, urge for great Italian food. And so I'm thinking mm -hmm. probably something, some great pasta uh, in Tuscany somewhere. So I'm thinking we're yes. nestled into the Tuscan hills um, on some big estate where we're sipping these drinks um, and there is a wonderful Italian grandmother making us pasta in the kitchen. <laughs> we're watching the sunset over the, um, over the hills there and, and just sitting in Tuscany and enjoying ourselves. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing, providing one could get a flight anywhere yeah, well, through an airport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the challenge these days, isn't it? Completely yes. put a downer on that. But that sounds amazing. Yeah. I, I'm I'm all in. I <laughs> it's shut so my funny. eyes for a moment. It's so there. funny we get the you know, you get the ah uh, the beautiful Italian grandmother and <laughs> in the Tuscan hills, but uh but yeah you gotta go through Heathrow to get there. So uh, <laughs> yeah that kind of spoils everything. <laughs> all right so but we we persevered and we're and uh that 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 vision is amazing which is why we have the virtual bar and take people to these places um what would conversation turn to after a couple of these lovely drinks well it's almost like something that we you know i mean i don't know how interesting this is to talk about while we've mm -hmm. got the tuscan sunset and these great drinks mm -hmm. and pasta to eat but you know, what has been on my mind has been two client engagements that we've been working on, and they've both focused on technology. And, yeah. you know, what has fascinated me about the entire evolution of marketing technology, and both you and I come from this background, so we've got mm -hmm. decades of experience to, to lean back on, <laughs> yeah. um, Each. is how, you know, how confusing, how... Uh, hard, how useless in many cases marketing mm -hmm. technology can really be um, mm -hmm. in terms of its level of effort 
uh, of helping us be better marketers. And, yeah. and I'll tell you what I mean by that, because the, the two clients could not have been more different. Uh, you know, so one of them, very sophisticated, very sophisticated technology stack. They've got a modern content management system that does personalization. They've got a modern digital asset management system. They've got like AI driven writing assistance, helping their editorial teams and all of this amazing sort of super modern technology at their disposal. The second mm -hmm. client is struggling. They have no real technology other than this patchwork of, you know, they've got shared cloud storage, you know, which is basically a file system for their digital asset mm -hmm. management system. They still manage, I'm not even joking here, they do HTML snippets in the middle of Excel fields and then save it out as a, as a comma delimited file and upload that to their CMS system, which then displays the content. So I was a little bit sick in my mouth then. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right. You know, it's, you know, visions of interwoven dance through your head, I'm sure. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, all of that, they've got this ancient collaboration system that's still using yeah. Lotus notes. Um, and if anybody in your audience knows Lotus notes, you already have rolled your eyes. If you don't know Lotus yeah. notes, go ahead and roll your eyes because that's how old it is. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, but the interesting thing is, is that both teams are getting the same amount of work done. They're producing the same amount of content wow. through very different processes. Obviously <laughs> they're both quote unquote, getting the job done. Like nobody's falling mm -hmm. down here. They're, they're getting what they need to do done there. And they're mm -hmm. about the same size team. And here's the punchline they both feel like technology is not serving them well. Right. And that to me is just so fascinating because if you said, well, the, you know, the one uh, that has the modern systems isn't, you know, is probably using 20 to 30% of the capacity of their modern mm -hmm. system, you'd be right. Mm -hmm. And if you said to the other, if the other one would just upgrade to modern systems, they would be exponentially more efficient and more effective in what they're trying to do. And you'd be right. All of that mm -hmm. would be right, but it's not. And it's just such a common process where we all, as marketing, envision this sort of dream where technology is going to help us automate processes and create these insightful dashboards and magically deliver the right content to the right people at the mm -hmm. right time on the right channel on the right device and all of that. But then we just don't. We, we just don't do that. <laughs> and, I, and I saw this statistic, and I'm totally maybe making this statistic up because mm -hmm. I... Uh, it, it, but even if it isn't true, it feels true, which is that marketers these days spend 30% of their waking time. In other words, you know, 30% of all the time they spend thinking about work, either researching, implementing, or learning a new technology that's oh, going to wow. help them theoretically do all those things that we just, we just talked about. And the one yeah. thing that we don't do is we don't ask why. And the mm -hmm. reason all of this came up to me, the reason the whole idea sort of started to emerge when I was thinking about these two teams, because I hadn't really put it together before, but it was because I learned about both of them were learning, you know, we're trying to deal with privacy yeah. and data privacy and, and all those things and how they were managing first party data. And there was a solution that was out there that basically would help them automate all of the data access requests that they might get from GDPR. These are European mm -hmm. companies, by the way. And 
mm-hmm. and and both of them were thinking about the GDPR and how they might you know automate the data access requests that they might get from consumers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had to ask the question. I said, well. What marketing strategies are you devising that you're anticipating so many data access requests <laughs> that you feel like you're going to need to automate that? I mean, it's just so, you know, in other words, at yeah. the surface, the technology sounds really neat. Oh, you're going to automate yeah. this whole process. Yeah, that sounds neat. Yeah. But why are we designing a process around that? Why are we designing yeah. a process around a cool technology feature, which is what we so often do? And, you know, you and I have talked on the show before about CMS systems and, you know, the interface design, for example, being personalized and configured to the point where you can literally limit one person in one department from seeing the big red publish button. And so you go to all this trouble to implement this personalized interface for this one person instead of just going, hey, Jack. Don't push the big red publish button. <laughs> Just tell them not to push the button instead of designing these processes and systems around the capabilities yeah. of technology. In any yeah. event, it brings me all the way back to how we select and decide whether we need yeah. new technology. And I found myself sending them both of these clients, uh, my colleague Kathy McKnight's eight steps to acquiring yeah. technology. Yeah. And I yeah. love the fact that in her eight steps of acquiring technology figuring out the rfp is step seven (laughs) you know what i mean wow so much work to do before you actually and the first step is actually deciding whether or not you need technology and what it really is supposed to be doing so anyway that's what's on my mind no i love it i love it and it's amazing i mean marketing technology is such a recurring theme on this show and the amount of marketing technology marketing executives that i talk to and you know the thing they want to throw in the rockstar cmo swimming pool marketing technology right exactly (laughs) yeah more technology said no marketing person ever yeah 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 and also i mean i i agree with you as well and might as well give um kathy a little horn toot there as well because i I think if you can point me to that um i'll put it in the show notes as well because i've also I think I might have sponsored Kathy to do to write a paper like that in a previous life and, as well, and, and that her advice is excellent around that stuff. And I love the fact that seven is is RFP. You know what I mean? The first five, the first six are: Do you really want to do this? That's right. That's exactly right. They are varying degrees of that exact question. It's like, are you sure? Yeah. No. Are you yeah. really sure? No. 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 Are you really sure? Yeah. Absolutely, and I love the determination of your um, of your one client that's that's working with, with with all that antiquated tech. I thought, and I also thought when you said if you've heard of Lotus Notes, it's time for your nap. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly because, right. Well, the, I mean, you know, God. and you know what's so funny is that mm-hmm. it's a little bit like you know, so you know that island that's off the coast of India. Uh, I think yeah. it's this. I think they call them the Sentinelese. They're this right. tribe that has been untouched by modern you know, society for, you know, 200 years or something, you know, so they're still, you know, they're still in hunter gatherer mode. Right. And they get about life just fine. Right. (laughs) It's these people, the, 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 this company that I mentioned before with the Lotus, they don't know they're so heads down and focusing on their own work (laughs) and what they need to get done. They just don't even, they don't even realize how far behind they really are. 
<laughs> so were, were you were you like the early explorers? You were showing them working machines, and they they were offering you all of their well, all you, of you, their you just you you throw out, and that's the thing about marketing. I mean, we all do this in 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 some yeah. varying degree. Yeah. Is to say, you know, you show them that you say, well, what if you could just do this? And they go, yeah. really? That, that's possible. <laughs> These things exist. And it's like, yeah, they do. They do exist. You know, technology's come a long way since since you know editing HTML in the middle of a spreadsheet. It's 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 really it's really quite it's remarkable what you can do these uh, days. I think you found a lost tribe of marketers there. <laughs> oh well, here's the here's the, I mean here's the, here's the second punchline, which is uh, you know there are plenty of people in your audience right now going, mm -hmm. yeah, that's us. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know. I mean, let's put a finer point on it. Adobe still makes Dreamweaver, okay? So, right, that's a good know, point. That's there are people point. who still use Dreamweaver to manage their corporate website. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Well, I mean, if you're out there, listener, and, and, and this is your experience, uh, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, mate. So that's, that's splendid. So um, when, you're, um, when you've got your chimpanzees typing or if you're cranking through Lotus Notes, and you're producing something for the interwebs. Where can people find that production? Well, they can always look for our stuff, including, by the way, and we'll put this in the show notes. Uh, I'll, I will mm -hmm. send you a link to uh, Kathy's wonderful uh, eight steps yeah. uh, of yeah. technology selection um, at contentadvisory.net. Uh, that's splendid. And I strongly recommend that work as well. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Sam? Uh, they'll find me these days hanging out on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with each and every one of you. And I would mention um, mm -hmm. our lovely little community, of course, which you are a, 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 a member mm -hmm. of as well. We have lots of wonderful discussions in there just like this um, mm -hmm. at experienceadvisors.io. It's a little passion project. Um, and uh, it, we're having a lot of fun over there. So if you're in the business of creating customer experience and want to get over to experienceadvisors.io, and apply to get in then we'd love to have you in there it's perfect yeah it's a great community and um, i forgot to actually have you mention it last week but it was it's always in the show notes so it, you can find it in the show notes in all the episodes um experienceadvisors.io thank you very much mate and of course most importantly for me personally as selfish as i am Will I find you in the bar next week? Oh, you will always find me in the bar. <laughs> yes. I look forward to it. Thank you, mate. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. We definitely have a love-hate relationship with Martech on this show. So that's a wrap on episode 127 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Joyce and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com, where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. So... Does the world need another Effing Martin podcast? Please let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the marketing studio. I go backstage with Andrew Davis, CMO of Paddle, and Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you again join us here next week 
on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.